Um, so we've been doing this series called Restoration, um, Building Beyond Ourselves, and um, we've been doing it for almost the whole of the year, and really just reading through Nehemiah and just asking God to, to prompt us as a church what He wants us to look at. And we're not really going chronologically, we're just saying, God, as your Spirit leads us, may we listen and may you speak to us as a church, as a people, um, called to restore lives. Um, and it's called to restore this city and this nation. And so uh, the privilege of carrying on uh, this morning with that. And uh, I uh, was reading through Nehemiah, Nehemiah 7, and God really highlighted a passage to me. I'm not really going to delve into that much, but more God uh, addressed my heart concerning honor. And um, honor is something we've been touching on as a church since the beginning of the year. And it's just been beautiful, the personal journey God has taken me on in terms of how to honor people and what that does. And um, many of you will know that uh, Vesey and myself uh, had the honor and the privilege to go to Czech Republic to go and minister to people there um, in April. And we were in Czech Republic for about two weeks, just connecting with churches, people that are friends, that are leading churches there, and uh, just ministering to them, encouraging them, teaching and it was a really great time. And uh, end of last year, actually mid-last year, I felt God say, hey, young, you need to set a time of rest for yourself. And so what I did is I started saving up. And I had money uh, for this trip. When I heard Vesey was going to check, I was like, hey, I'm keen, please. I want to come with. Uh, but I knew it wasn't going to be a break. It was going to be, hey, pouring out. And so I said to Vesey, please, can I book my ticket a week later? Uh, we're in Europe, you man. You know, I've saved up. I want to go and enjoy something that God has for me in terms of just resting. And so uh, I uh, went to Berlin for a, for a couple of days, and thank God that I was saving for that because otherwise I would have not been able to go. But on my way to Berlin, I stopped over at a place called Dresden, um, and I had no idea <laughs> where this place was. I had no idea what the history of it was. And I arrived there and uh, met up with a guy I'd never met um, from a church I had no idea existed. And God just hooked me up with a free, free accommodation, which I mean in Europe is like a blessing, for two nights. I stayed with three guys, three German guys um, that could speak English, but uh, it was fun. Um, and they told me a bit about the city. And uh, basically what happened in the Second World War is that uh, the 13th and the 14th of February, um, 1945, they bombed, Allied forces bombed Dresden. Like almost destroyed most of the old city. And so what happened is they bombed it just to put pressure on the German forces to surrender. And so they bombed these century-old cathedrals, buildings, opera houses, churches, just beautiful landmarks, uh, architectural like marvels were just destroyed in the space of like 24 hours. And it was just amazing for me to kind of walk through the city knowing that it was completely destroyed. And what they had done is they had restored it to its former glory. 
Only about a decade ago, it's been restored almost completely to its former glory. And I want to show you guys this uh, video I took of. Uh, um, um, it's, this is just a, a website. You can actually see the old versus the new. So the first picture is when it was bombed in 1945. And that's one photo. And there's a couple of them I'll show you. Uh, that's the second photo the day after the bombings. And uh, this is what it looks like today. They've gone and they've completely restored um, the city. You walk through, that's the same angle, the same photo, same place. Uh, there's a couple of them. And uh, what is really interesting about uh, what happened, and I think we'll be able to see it in the next photo, that the men were all at work. And so what happened was that the women the majority of the people living in Dresden at that moment were women. And so, straight after the bombings, it was the women that took lead to say, hey, we'll start clearing the rubble, uh, get the survivors out. They had to obviously burn the bodies of those people that died, but it was the women that took lead in this restoration process. And they knew that one day, their goal was to rebuild the city. So, whatever bricks whatever uh, material they could save to help rebuild, they kept. So they kept the original stones um, that in the next photo you can actually see here. If you look at the, the restored building that's coming up now, you can see the darker bricks in the building. Those are the original bricks that they've actually laid in there. And so um, just a whole lot of work that they've done. I think there's one more picture after that, but I mean, that's been completely destroyed. It cost them, I think I read, 180 million euros to restore that last building. And this you can see the woman restoring here. And uh, as I was walking the streets, I think that's the last one. Megan, thanks, you can go. As I was walking through the streets, I only had one day to explore. So I like got my backpack, went into the old city, and I was exploring. And uh, I was reading up, thank the Lord for internet, and I was reading up on each building as I was walking, and then when I got bored, I would just go to the next thing. Um, but I found this, and I'm so sad I didn't take a picture of it, but I found behind this one building a list of all the women that helped restore at the start. So I think it was like a couple of thousand ladies' names that were part of the initial project that were spearheading this restoration thing of just clearing the rubble. It took them years just to clear the rubble. But there was a massive list of all, the, all these ladies, their full names on the side of this uh, one building, just to honor them. And uh, if you want to turn with me to uh, Nehemiah 6, or Nehemiah 7, actually. Nehemiah 7, verse 5. I'm not going to read all of it. But it's the, the concept there that I want to touch on this morning. Nehemiah 7, verse 6. And uh, this is now after the wall has been finished, and uh, they've kind of rebuilt it. And uh, Nehemiah says this in uh, 7, verse 5. He says, Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy, and I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at first, and I found, it, uh, writ found written in it. These were the people of the uh, province 
who came up out of the captivity of those exiles who Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Jeshua, Maiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Balshan, Mershavus, Perith, Bavai, Nahum, and then it goes on to just list all the people that returned. It says, the number of men of the people of Israel, the son of Paros, 2,172, the sons of uh, Sephatiah, 372. I'm not going to read all of this. Uh, but you get the idea. Nehemiah goes and there's a list that honors the, those people that returned. And uh, this morning I want to touch on honor. I was reading this, God just struck forward in my heart to say we need to, we need to be a church that honors. And we need to know what that means because in this story Nehemiah is, has this calling upon his life. To, uh, God says to him, hey you need to go, you need to go and restore not just the physical walls of Jerusalem, but you need to raise up my people, the Israelites out of captivity so that they can perform the calling that I've placed on them as a nation. And these men led, they said, hey, I want to be a part of that. And in the Bible, they were honored for that. They were honored for their faith to help return and to restore. Just as those ladies that helped restore Dresden were honored, these men were honored. And I I feel that God has given us a clear mandate. We know, we've been talking about for half a year almost, hey, we are called to restore. And God wants to honor us, but we need to first honor Him. And so this morning I want to look at two, just two examples of honor from, uh, from the Bible. And just may God challenge me, may God challenge us as we just read it together. And so uh, if you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 6 uh, in the New Testament, Mark chapter 6. And uh, in Mark 6, what is happening is Jesus' ministry is kind of growing, it's picking up. Uh, he started performing miracles, uh, the crowds are growing, um, and uh, Jesus is healing people, he's casting out demons, and all of a sudden, there's this huge following in Mark 6, and uh, people are starting to talk amongst themselves, hey, could this be the Messiah, could this be the guy that frees us from Roman rule. Uh, They're expecting a king on a horse, but Jesus is preaching an upside-down message. His kingdom is upside-down. You know, they think he's going to come with force, and Jesus is preaching love. So people are just intrigued. Some people are just following to see what's going on. You know, those guys that are going on. But there's a crowd. And so in Mark 6, we find Jesus, and uh, let's read from verse 1. It says, And he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when it's talking about the disciples, it's not just talking about the twelve. It's talking about followers of Jesus. So it's it's, it's more encompassing than just the twelve. Okay. And uh, Jesus returns home, we see there in verse 1. And this is not the first time... He's kind of come back to Nazareth, his hometown, the place he grew up in, 
since his ministry started. Okay, this is the second time. What happened, and we can read about it uh, a couple of chapters before, is Jesus went back and uh, he was teaching in the synagogue and the people got so offended, they took him to a cliff and they wanted to chuck him down this cliff. They were angry. Okay? They didn't like him. Okay? And some people say this was about maybe six, seven, ten months before this chapter. So Jesus is returning to his hometown. The last time he was there, these guys tried to chuck him down a cliff. But he goes back. Okay, so that's just the context. Okay, the last time he was there, he was rejected, he was jeered at, and he was dishonored. I mean, the Son of God was dishonored. They tried to kill him because he was preaching the truth. But he returned. Okay, let's carry on reading. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach uh, in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom, wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And um, we see here that uh, Jesus is doing what he normally does. Okay? He's, he's got this habit of teaching. You know, on a Sabbath day, he's going to the synagogue. That's just who he is, and he's going to teach truth. Okay? He does what he normally does. And that word, astonished, uh, doesn't mean, you know, like, wow, sheesh, um, because it's the Greek word. It's not necessarily like um, amazement in a sense. Uh, it's not like when uh, Real Madrid, um, when they go back to uh, Madrid, you know, this week and everyone's going to get in the streets and, you know, shout and, yeah, like there's this amazing, like, acceptance of, yes, we're so happy for you, you know, we're joyful in this Jesus, you know, thank you for being here. It's not that astonishment. It actually means it's a reactive thing, like direct Greek says almost to kick at. Like it's, uh, it's a negative thing. It's not a good, it's a negative um, action. Okay, it's reactive. So they didn't want Jesus there. Okay, that's clear. They, they're not like, wow, where's this wisdom coming from, Jesus? You're so wise. It's like they're, they're becoming offended. So they didn't want Jesus there. And they carry on saying, Is this uh, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, and Judah and Simon? And, not, uh, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And so when they say, hey, isn't this the son of Mary? They are actually hinting that, hey, he's, isn't he, might be an illeg illegitimate child. You know, like, they're like questioning, if, you know, this, his, he's like, they, they're really mocking him. They're saying, hey, you, you, you're basically illegitimate child, Jesus. Uh, when they talk about the carpenter, they're mocking his position. They're saying, listen, you're just a carpenter. You're just a builder worker. You're no one special. You didn't get educated. That's what they, so they're mocking at him. Jesus, he comes love. This is the reaction that he's getting. Okay. Okay, so let me just take that on my. And so uh, Jesus is not received. Um, he's rejected. You know, in that crowd surely was his family. You know, those brothers, those sisters, his aunts, 
his aunties, his cousins, um, they were all there, you know, his friends that he grew up with, people he worked with, the community uh, that he, you know, he grew up with, and uh, every, every, the whole crowd is people that know him, and he's being rejected. And we carry on reading, and it says, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among the relatives, among his relatives and his own household. And he could not do mighty work there. He could not do a mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went out among the villagers teaching. And uh, it's interesting to, to note that it says he could not. It's not like Jesus was there and saying, oh, what you guys are doing, that's wrong. I'm, I'm, I w- I'm not going to do it. Jesus didn't like throw a tantrum and say, hey, you guys, you, I could have. I could have healed you. I know what you're going through, but because you're like that, I'm not going to help you. It says he could not. And that is really interesting to me. It's like that offense that the people had in their heart to him, because they were offended, it kind of blocked the power of God. It's like he could not, because it says that um, he, tr- he did a few, you know, uh, mighty works. What does it say? Um, where is this word? Yeah, yeah. He, he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. So he tried. You know, he was going and healing, but it says he could not do mighty works. So it's almost like the offense of his hometown and the people's hearts restricted the work that God, the power of God through Jesus, because their hearts were wrong towards Jesus. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the offense is such a big hindrance. And I think that the devil knows, the devil knows that when you're saved, you are a massive problem to him. Because all of a sudden you're in a new creation, you, you're stopping the way you, you thought about yourself before, you know, before you're saying, hey, there's no hope for me. Look at Zimbabwe, you're like, ish, God, what is the plan? I Literally, it's day in and day out, and it's, what am I doing with my life? That's the old way of thinking. When you come to Jesus, Jesus renews our thinking, and you're placed in the same situation, and there's freedom, and you're God can work through you, and the devil hates that. So the devil throws things at us so that it can restrict the power of God working through you. And so you're saying, yes, I want to restore God. Yeah, we're talking about restoration. I want to restore. The devil comes and he brings offense. Whatever, maybe it's to people, maybe it's history, maybe it's past things. And that's a way that the devil can just restrict you from fulfilling the calling that God has for you. And uh, in Genesis 4, I want to use this as another example. Genesis 4, um, we find uh, Cain and Abel, the story of them. Uh, If you want to turn there, you're more than welcome to as well. Genesis 4. And uh, we know the story, Adam and Eve. Adam uh, ate that apple. Um, What a cost. Um, but it's actually, you know, Eve, I don't want to get into anything here, whoa, 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 whoa. But it's interesting to know that that was the first woman that ate man out of his house, was Eve. Yeah, so I'm just saying, uh, 
the first sin, whoa, um, no, no, no. Um, and so we find that was the first sin committed, but then uh, the second recorded sin is in the story of Cain and Abel. And if you want to turn to Genesis 4, verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to God an offering of the fruit of the ground. And so we know that uh, from that, Cain was a farmer. Okay, so he was a farmer. He brought the fruit from the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. It's interesting to note that Cain bought an offering. Just an offering. Okay, God doesn't want an offering. Okay, you see that Abel brought the firstborn. So he bought the first, okay, and he bought the fatty part, so the good. He bought the best. Because when you have uh, lamb that is nice and fat, that's the one that's going to taste the best. That's the one you want to save for yourself, you know. Uh, and, uh, but, but Cain said, I want to bring that. God, you deserve that. Oh, Abel, sorry. Abel brought that. <laughs> and uh, he, that's the, there's a difference between the offering they're bringing. And it says there that God had regard for Abel's. Okay, that word regard was meaning that God had his gaze upon Abel. So he, he took note of what Abel bought. But what Cain bought, he had no regard because he just bought it. Like, God, I'll just, yeah, I'll just give it. And uh, when I look at that, I see such a difference in heart. I see such a difference in heart. You know, God doesn't want what is second of us. Okay, he doesn't want our second best. He wants our best. If you look at God and his story, okay, God creates, sent his son, okay, just as Clive was just sharing that song. He was the best of heaven. He was the very best. He was God's firstborn, his only son, the best. And he said, I want, I'll send my son to earth to die for you. I'll send my best. Jesus comes, he lives a life without sin, the best life ever lived as a human being. And he dies, sacrifice, gives his best. Okay, Holy Spirit is here with us today and he is giving us the best. He's giving us gifts, he's giving us the opportunity to have a relationship with God. God's story is a, a story of firsts and of more than what is needed. Okay, so when we look at this story, Cain and Abel, one is just giving out of, for the sake. Maybe it's selfish. Maybe it's religious already. Hey, my brother's doing this. Maybe I should as well. The other one is saying, God, you deserve the best. I want to honor you. You deserve the best. And it says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, as I said. God didn't have any regard for that offering. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell, 
And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It desires is contrary to you, uh, for you must rule over it. And uh, I know that when, uh, when I was younger and, you know, you've got that tantrum going and it's like, oh, I wanted that, oh, you know, and you put your face down and it's like, and my dad would just be like, hey, hey, gomiso, gomiso. And we would be like, listen, and I can't say, I want to say it all in Afrikaans because it's more powerful, but he'd be like, hey, wipe that thing off your face, you know. It's like, hey, change your attitude. Change your attitude because if you, if you walk around with this, it's not healthy for you. Yeah, he still says that to me, actually. Um, but it's like almost like if you stay in that heart, sin has got a back door. It's like, oh. And that's what God's saying to him. It's like, listen, if you don't change your attitude, something bad is going to happen. So now he's going from a place of not honoring God to a place where he can fall into sin. And so God is helping him. And he carries on saying, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother, brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you have cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so here, offense led to him killing his brother. That's what offense does. It is so dangerous for us to, to stay in offense. It, it took the very thing God called uh, Abel to, um, Cain to, sorry, Cain to, he was called to, to work the ground. He, he must have loved that because he chose to do that. I mean, he could have also done what his brother did. So he was called to be a farmer. That's what he did. That was his work. That was his calling. And the very thing that he was called to became, the ho- became hard for him to do because he lived in a fence and he didn't honor God. And so for us today, God can take the thing that you are called to, the thing that you love, the thing that you see, God, I need to be here, I need to go to work, I need to be involved in this ministry to serve these people. But if there's a fence in our hearts and we don't repent of it, God can come and He can kind of restrict the power, His power in those situations. And we will struggle even in those. And uh, Jesus, Jesus... He was called to a work. In, in John 17, we read, he says, um, I glorify you on earth, God, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was called to a work. We're all called to a work. And if we, we need to honor God so that his power can come and work through us. Otherwise, if we live in a fence, we're going to restrict the power of God. And uh, there's a Greek word, and many of you might have heard this and maybe have heard this analogy, but it is so good. And when you snap this, it's so easy to understand offense. And it's a Greek word it's called, called skandalon. Um, and uh, I think there's a verb, and it's pronounced differently. I don't really know, but this is a root word for it. 
Okay, and this is the Greek word for offense, and it's a tr the trigger of a trap. So the mechanism closing a trap down on an unsuspecting victim. And so I've always heard this comparison for this word is that's that, that stick. You know when uh, you try to catch a bird and you've got the, the basket and you put a stick and then you tie a rope to it and you put some... Um, breadcrumbs or something and you want the bird to go underneath the basket and then you pull the string and the basket falls on the bird. S the scandalon, the offense is that stick. As soon as you give into it, it's like boom and it's caught you. And so that's the danger with offense. As soon as you give in, you're caged and uh, you're trapped. And offense is a very, very dangerous thing. Offense leads us to unbelief. Like, no, no, no. And I've been offended. I've been offended in church. I've been offended sitting in the crowd, and people are doing stuff, bringing glory to God, but there's an offensive heart in me, and I find any, anything wrong. I don't know even why. And it distracts me, and it restricts the power of God to flow through me. And just going back to that story uh, in Nazareth, and Jesus returning to Nazareth. I want to I suggest that in that crowd, I think there were three different hearts. And I want you to think, hey, where, where are you today? In that crowd of people, there were three different hearts. There was the ten, tender heart of Jesus, soft and tender. And there were caged hearts, hearts that were offended. Hearts that when they saw that, hey, this man that I grew up with, this Jesus, this carpenter, this guy who was born of Mary when she wasn't even married, this guy is doing these things, and there was a fence. And then I want to say, I think there were tough hearts sitting on the fence. Because I, in Mark 6, verses 52, it says this, talking about his disciples, it says, For they did not understand about the loaves when Jesus had done the whole great miracle for their hearts were hardened. And I think there were people in the crowd that were not even, they, their hearts were just hard because they, they were saying, hey, this could be the Messiah, but my heart is so hard, I'm not even, I'm not sure, you know, it wasn't just a fence. And may, I want to I ask you where, where you think you are today. Because we need to get off the fence and we need to become tender hearts and say, God, forgive me for the fence. I want to walk in the freedom that you have for me and I want to walk in the power that you give. But we can only walk in that power if we let go of offense. And so how do we let go of that offense? I think honor releases that. When we honor, we let go of an offense. You cannot honor someone truly if you're offended by them. You cannot honor God if there is something in your heart, some kind of offense towards Him, there's no way. Honor frees us from being caged. It helps us with those tough hearts. And we see that honor releases the miraculous. That's what I think. I think that when we honor God, we will open up the floodgates of the Holy Spirit's power into our lives. And I don't know about you, but I want King City Church to be a church that encounters the miraculous. 
not just here on a Sunday, but also on a Sunday. I want to see God's power, His Spirit working when we gather. I want to hear testimonies of God's, God's power, His Spirit moving in us during, during the week. Families being restored. Friendships being restored. Offenses being dropped. Businesses thriving because there is honor. There's a culture of honor in this church. And I think when we start to honor God truly, truly, we'll, we'll open ourselves up to the Spirit's power to flow. And we're constantly talking about this restoration that we're called to. We're constantly saying, hey, we're called to restore. It starts with us. We need to honor. We need to honor God. The, the, the problem is not on God's side. Okay? It's on us. We are the ones. And for, for us to, to truly walk into that, it's not going to just be the leaders that needs to honor. It's not just uh, the worship team or the people setting up. It's all of us. It's all of us. And if there is any offense, we need to let go of that. To say, God, we want this to be a household of honor. A family where we honor each other, where we truly let go of offense. The Greek word for honor is spelled the same way you, in English you would spell time. T-I-M-E. I think it's pronounced differently. I don't know. To me or something. <laughs> and uh, it literally means to value. To value. What you put first you honor. What you value first, you honor. That's a big one. Many of us, we always think it has to be things. Oh, what do I, what do, I do the most? What do I put first? No, no, no. I think, honestly, the person we honor the most is ourselves. It's like, hey, what do I want to do? I'm going to honor my time. I'm going to honor, you know, me. What, what does Yanku want to do? And it's constantly, it's me, me, me. When I think about the decisions I'm making, it's like, how does it affect me? Not how does that affect God. That's putting God first. And I, I'll, I'll finish soon. Five minutes. You can keep me to that. Um... Just an example for me, you know, we talk about tithes and offerings and, and money and, and everything belongs to God. We need to see that. We don't pay tithe. We give to God, to His kingdom. I want to give God first, okay? I don't want to just give Him an offering. I want to give Him my first and I will give Him my best, okay? That's the difference. That's honoring, okay? And not to bring glory to myself at all here, but you know what? When, when I get... My salary, I don't want it to come to me. Okay? The first thing I want to do to that money is I want it to reduce the tithe that I'm giving to God. Before it even gets to me, it's like, God, I want you to have what is yours. Well, all of it's yours, but I want you to get before I even get my portion first. So we need to think like that. In the morning when you wake up, what is the first thing you do? God, I want to give you today first. I'm going to spend time with you first. On a Sunday, it's the first day of the week. God, I give this day to you first. 
okay, and I want to give it to you fully, the best I have. Not just coming here to sit and, oh, well, God, this is an offering. That's not honoring. God's power is being restricted because we're not honoring Him. I don't know how many of you, and I need to be be sensitive to to how I phrase this, because I know we live in Africa. (laughs) But uh, how many of you have a friend who's always late (laughs) for something? I'm not talking about a friend that, say, I've got a puncture or, I don't know, the weather here doesn't really affect our tardiness in time. Um, But he's always late or she's always late for a meeting, an appointment. Maybe it's for work. And they're just always late. I don't know, how does that make you feel when someone is late? 20 minutes, 30 minutes late for a meeting. Hey, what, how does that make you feel? Anyone, just how does that make you feel? Christine? Frustrated? Disrespected? Anybody else? Dishonored? How about when you get to a meeting and it's like almost a culture in that person that they're already there waiting for you. They're there, they're ready, they, they, they're eager, they, they're receiving you. Maybe it's meeting up at a coffee shop and they're already there. How do you feel? You feel loved. Hey, you feel respected, you feel honored. Now, Charles and Barbara, they've left a couple of months ago. Charles and Barbara had this amazing habit to always be early. Almost to the point of saying, hey, hey, now it's a bit frustrating that you're early. <laughs> but you always knew that they valued you and your time. And they would always make an effort to be there on time. That's just the, that's just a basic example. You know what? I wonder sometimes how God feels when we come 20 minutes late to a meeting that we do once a week in honor of Him. When we get here and it's like the band's already done and people are walking in. You know, it's hard because the elders, we have this conversation a lot that at the start of worship, you look across the crowd and it's like, sheesh, there's few people at church today. And by the end of worship, you turn around again. It's like, whew, where did all these people come from? But I wonder if that is honoring. This is just a meeting. I know this is not what I'm just saying. Our honor to God is not based on how, what time we arrive to a meeting. But it does display what is going on in our hearts. Where we put value first, that's where we honor. So I want to challenge us. Okay? I want to challenge us. We need to put God first, okay? We need to put God first in our relationships, in our work, in our marriages. It's not just on a Sunday that we put God first. Every day, in everything that we do, our future plans, our current situation, God, I'm struggling here, but I'm putting you first. Truly doing that. I'm not going to do it in my strength. It's God, your will be done. We need to value God first. Okay, and we need to value what God values. That's how we honor Him. So my challenge is this, okay? I want to see 
God's power at work in this church. Okay, we need to start we need to experience it here on a Sunday so we can carry it out to the week so that we can experience it during the week so that we can come here on a Sunday we can experience it here together. Okay, so Sundays I want to challenge us for the next month for the next month to truly say God we want to honor you with our time. That's something practical. But to say we're going to be here at nine at five past nine, and we say it actually starts at nine, but we always push it five minutes late because we know people arrive late. But God, at nine o'clock, I'm going to be here ready to worship you, ready to just engage with you, ready to listen to you, giving you my time. The first day of the week, I'm honoring you, but I'm coming at nine. Yeah, that's not what it stops. It's saying, God, I want to also spend time with you during the week. And if we as a people can truly say, God, I want to spend time with you in the morning, first thing in the day, I want to honor you. I'm telling you, the power of God will start working in ways that we've never seen before. Where we can't experience that love, that power, if there is a fence in our hearts. It's going to lead us the opposite way. And I've had the beauty of, of walking with friends over the last couple of months that, that I know it's not a fence necessarily, but the difference between living in that place and then the difference between living in a place of honor towards God and each other. And there's a clear difference. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of people around me. And so if you're in a place of a fence, and you're saying, hey, I want to be a part of this restoration project thing. I want to serve God. I want to build others up. I want to love God. You're going to just constantly be running into that cage that you're trapped into, that cage of offense. If we want to walk together in honor, honoring God and honoring each other, and restoring and experiencing the power, let go of that and let's honor God. And it's, there's practical ways that we can do that. Sunday is a practical way. Let's get you on time. Let's encourage each other, honor each other, build each other up. Let me pray for us. Miss Father God, Lord Jesus, we, we want to honor each other, Father God, but not out of obligation, but Father God, because you honored us first. You gave your son. Lord Jesus, you, Jesus, you died on the cross. Holy Spirit, you are with us, Father. Uh, Holy Spirit, you're you're with us, giving us just such a freedom to have a relationship with God. And so, Father, I pray that as King City Church, uh, Father, that we would be a house filled with honor, old and young, Father God, male and female. May we treat each other with honor and respect. May we love each other. May we. Father God, especially if there is a fence in our hearts towards people in the house, may we deal with that. May we just remove that offense so that the power of God can flow freely. Lord Jesus, we never want to restrict you, but when we are offended, we restrict you. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this crowd this morning that has a heart of offense towards anyone here, anyone else, even towards you, God, that they would just deal with it right now. Whatever that is, 
May God convict you right now. God, convict me. And may we deal with that right away. May we not give Satan that room. Sin is crouching at the door. Don't give him that opportunity. Lord Jesus, I pray that, Father God, when people encounter us during the week, they would encounter people that honor, that speak life, that build each other up. Father, I pray that in your holy name. Amen. In, uh, in Romans 12, verse 10, Paul says this. He says, Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. To me, like I'm a competitive guy and that's, a, that's like a challenge. It's like a competition. It's like, hey man, Yanku, outdo Brendan in showing honor. And so that's what we need to live with, this, this brotherly competition to say, hey, I'm going to honor you better than you honor me. I mean, that's healthy, and that's fun. And so let's outdo each other in honoring one another this week. Have a wonderful week, um, and uh, enjoy the cup of coffee. Uh, may you be honoring towards God and towards others this week. Amen. Thanks for coming. See you next week. <laughs>